Hello and welcome to the Chase Family Church Podcast. Today we have Dan speaking on the story of Zacchaeus. I was watching a video this morning um, by the guy from HTB, I can't remember his name. Nicky Gumball, that's it. I always forget it, I don't know why, it's a weird name. Um, And he was reading a survey about the perfect pastor. And I don't know who had filled in the information, but it said that the perfect pastor... Their message was only 12 minutes long, so I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint a few people this morning. <laughs> but it also said that the uh, perfect pastor was 28 years old, but had been preaching for 30 years. So I'm not sure who filled out this survey. <laughs> well, let's see. Anyway, I'm going to start today um, in the land of Jericho, um, which is in Israel, and is a fertile oasis in the midst of a dry, hot desert. And there's an old story, a a fictional story, potentially, this part of it anyway, that says that one day, long ago, two men, tired from their journey and looking for water and rest, came to Jericho. And as they approached the city, they saw in the distance an old sycamore tree. And they noticed, even in the midst of this oasis, that old tree was unusually green and its branches were unusually full. So they made their way towards it. And as they did, they noticed an old man at the base of the tree holding a water pot in his hand. Curiously, they watched as this old man took that precious water and poured it out ever so carefully over the base of that tree. Needless to say, these tired and thirsty men were confused by what they saw, and so they approached the old man and said, Sir, why are you giving that old tree such tender care? To which the old man stopped And he turned, and with a gentle smile, he said, Oh, I see you men are strangers to our city. And they said, Yes, sir, we are. With that, the old man pointed to an old tree limb that hung over the dusty road. And he said, Do you see that old limb? And tears began to well up in his eyes. And he said, That's the place. That's the place which I first saw my Lord. That's the place. Then old Zacchaeus told the story. The story that he loved to tell, the story about the day he met Jesus. Now, those men were probably not the first, and they're certainly not the last to hear that story, because today, you and I are going to hear that story as it's recorded for us in the book of Luke. So, if you want to turn in your Bibles, if you've got them, let's get started by turning to Luke chapter 19, verse 1. And it reads, Jesus entered Jericho. Jesus entered Jericho. We're going to stop there for a second. As I mentioned earlier, Jericho was an oasis. It was a beautiful green gem in the midst of a sandy brown desert. It was a place of attraction and interest. It was a place that King Herod the Great and one of his sons built a magnificent palace, a theater, and a hippodrome, which was a horse race track, so that they could spend their winters there. It was a place that served as a hub for Roman trade routes, that carried dates and balsa and roses to worldwide fame. It was also a place that was wealthy beyond any in its region. As a matter of fact, Josephus, a Jewish historian of the day, called it a divine region, the fattest in Palestine, which is why it became known, especially among tax collectors, as a tax collector's paradise. Why? Because where there is great wealth, there can be great taxes. And where there are great taxes, there can be great tax collectors. 
I'll try and say that quickly. So Jesus enters Jericho, this wealthy gem of a community, but he's not there to stay. No, verse 1 continues and it says he's passing through, which of course would have been a horrible disappointment to those in the community that just hours before had been given him the greetings of a celebrity. You see, just two hours before, in Luke chapter 18, 19, sorry, Luke chapter 18, verses 35 and 36, it indicates that Jesus was coming into town, and the people of Jericho rushed out to greet him and gave him a celebrity's welcome. You see, in that culture, it was an honor culture, where a great, when a great celebrity or honored guest would come to your town, your whole community would rush out to greet them. And then the community, often with praise and excitement, would escort that guest into town. And then you'd host a huge banquet and celebrate their arrival at this banquet. Everyone would greet and meet and pay their respects to this honored guest. And then finally, as a community, you would pick out the perfect place for this guest to stay, the perfect host for them to stay with, one that everyone would be honored by, both your community and your guest. So when Jesus arrives, everyone's excited. I mean, they're making plans, they're organizing banquets, they're spreading the words. They can't wait for the day to unfold. But when they find out that Jesus is just passing through, when they find out there's not going to be a banquet, there's not going to be an opportunity to host him, they're greatly disappointed and upset, as you would be. And that brings us to Zacchaeus, verse 2. As Jesus was passing through Jericho, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. And who was he? He was the chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. Now let's talk about tax collectors for the moment. Um, a little bit of a sour subject, I'm sure. Um, well, tax collectors in that day were hated and despised. Might not be very different now as well. Um, but why were they hated and despised? Well, because they were sellouts. They had sold out their country, they'd sold out their people, they'd sold out their God even, and they had sold out their morals to the Roman oppressors for money. Do you know how Roman, uh, tax collectors got their jobs? They actually bought them. So they actually paid their Roman oppressors for the right to rip off their own people. You see, Israel was under Roman rule. And in order to maintain Roman rule, Roman taxes had to be collected. So when you paid your taxes, you were actually paying the salaries of the Roman rulers that were oppressing you. And because all that Rome cared about was their share of the money, they allowed tax collectors to rip you off at will. They could charge you whatever they wanted as long as Rome got their cut. And that's why everything a tax collector owned or even touched was considered unclean by Jewish law, because it was all ripped off. And that's why the Jews believed that lying to tax collectors and Romans was right, good, and even, even honoring to God. And because of this, the Jews, Jews hated taxes, they hated tax collectors, and they hated Zacchaeus. Who, by the way, he wasn't just an ordinary tax collector. No, he was the chief tax collector which means he not only stood at the top of the collection pyramid, raking in the money from all the tax collectors in the city, but he also stood at the top of everyone's hate list. So Zacchaeus was enormously wealthy and enormously hated. 
So verse 3 and 4. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, can't imagine what that feels like, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Now, church, Zacchaeus does two things here that no dignified man of that culture would ever do. Firstly, he runs, and secondly, he climbs a tree. Why? Because he wants to see Jesus, and he's going to do whatever it takes to get it done. Let's imagine the scene for a moment. Zacchaeus is seated at the seat of commons and is conducting his normal business of ripping people off. And as he does, an excited friend or family member comes rushing into his office. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, you're not going to believe this, but Jesus of Nazareth has just healed blind Bartimaeus. You know that filthy, dirty, blind beggar guy who sits on the edge of town? Well, Jesus has just healed him. And now he's passing through. He's coming through town. Now let's keep this in mind. This is three years into Jesus' ministry. So by this time, Zacchaeus, as well as many others, have heard the reports about Jesus. How he healed the sick and cast out demons and raised the dead. And now he's a friend of sinners and even tax collectors. And how he even forgives sin of his own authority. So this is a man that Zacchaeus wants to see. And so he dismisses his Roman guard, probably slips him a few coins. He locks the doors behind him, and he begins to run for an old sycamore tree. Now, why does he run? He runs because for Zacchaeus to mingle in a crowd and take his time was both dangerous and deadly. You see, at the time, there was an extreme group of Jewish freedom fighters called the Sakari Daggers who would enter into crowds identify their victims, and with the flick of a dagger, they would stick their victim in the back and then disappear. So that's why Zacchaeus forsakes his dignity and runs ahead of the crowd and climbs a tree. You know, as a child, I used to think that Zacchaeus climbed the tree just because he was short and he wanted to see over the crowd, which I'm sure is one of the reasons, but there's a lot more to it than that. So listen closely. He also climbs a tree because a tree was considered a type of tent. I mean, think about it when it's hot in the summer. Where do you park your car? Or where do you stand? You stand under a tree. A tree was considered a type of tent. And so, if any type of ceremonial uncleanliness took place underneath a branch or in a tree, if you stepped underneath any branch of that tree, then you became ceremonially unclean. So Zacchaeus chooses, he chooses to climb a tree because he knows that the crowd who's preparing for Passover doesn't want to take the risk of becoming unclean. So he knows they won't walk underneath any tree, let alone a sycamore tree. Sycamore trees were huge. And as a matter of fact, they were so huge that Jewish law mandated in that day that they couldn't grow within 75 feet of the edge of town so that no one would be forced to walk underneath their massive branches and thus possibly become unclean. So verse 4 tells us that Zacchaeus runs out of town ahead of the crowd and climbs a sycamore tree to see Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I can kind of see Zacchaeus at this moment as he's climbing out onto one of those limbs. He's pushing back the leaves. He's straining to see Jesus. Jesus. 
for the first time. And then he sees his face. Now, church, Zacchaeus was a man who I believe knew how to read a face. I mean, by the look on a man's face, I bet he knew if that man was broke and had no money, or if he was wealthy, or if he was confident, or if he was shaken, if he was powerful, or if he was weak. He was a man who knew how to read face. But when he looked into the face of Jesus, he saw a face unlike any he'd ever seen. It was both powerful and magnetic, strangely personal and compassionate. It was a face that drew him in and a face that wouldn't let him go. And so he watched every glance that Jesus made and every step he took until finally Jesus came to the spot, the spot that he looked up and he said, verse 5, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Can you imagine how that must have felt? I mean, if Jesus were to walk into this room right now and to walk up to you and look in your face and call you by name, how would that feel? Zacchaeus must have been thinking, I can't believe it, he knows me. He knows me. Let's remember, church, the same Jesus that knew Zacchaeus knows us now. And he knows everything about us. Joy DeKalb Clark, an author, writes about how when she was growing up, she used to help her dad feed and care for 50 or so milk cows that they milked every day. And she writes that her dad would take his old metal wheelbarrow over to the grain chute and fill it up, and then she'd follow him as he would feed their cows. Three scoops to some, two scoops to another, and one scoop for others. She writes, it always made her feel sad when some cows got less or some cows got more. So one day she asked her dad, Dad, why do you give some cows so much and some so little? Her dad just smiled at her and answered matter-of-factly, because I know their needs. Well, she wasn't satisfied with that answer. She asked him again, but how do you know which ones get what? He stopped for a moment and he turned to her and said, because I know my cows. Some are going to have babies, so they need more. Some have already had babies and they need more because their calves need good, rich milk. And some have already had babies Sorry, and some cows are older, and they're regular milking cows. And then he handed her the scoop, and he said, Joy, would you like to feed the cows? And of course, she happily took the scoop and continued down the manger with her father telling her how many scoops of grain to give each one. She writes that he never had to stop to think about it. He never hesitated or wondered. He just knew. Jesus knows you. You don't have to explain your circumstances to him. You don't have to inform him about your needs. You don't have to tell him about your secrets. Even those deep, hidden away, because he knows. He knows you better than you know yourself. So when Zacchaeus realized that Jesus knew him, that he knew everything about him, and I imagine that tree must have shook and yet, in spite of all that he knew about Zacchaeus, Jesus wanted to go home with him. Don't miss that. And the good news is, like I was saying, the same Jesus who wanted to go home with Zacchaeus wants to go home with you and me, in spite of everything he knows about us. 
He wants to go home with us. Why? Because when our days on earth are done, he wants us to come home with him forever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Let's claim that this morning. Now, how does Zacchaeus respond when he finds out that Jesus wants to go home with him? How does he respond? Well, I bet if you had a stethoscope and you put it on that tree, you would have heard his heart pounding. Verse 6 says, He came down at once and welcomed him gladly. You know, he's pumped. He's excited. I mean, think about it. All he wanted to do was be able to see Jesus. He never dreamed that Jesus would step across that line and want to come to his house. So he jumps out of the tree and he welcomes him gladly. I can, I can almost see the picture of Jesus putting his arm around Zacchaeus in that moment. And they walk away. So how does everyone else in Jericho respond to this unbelievable scene? Well, quite frankly, they find it unbelievable. As we probably would have done. Verse 7, it says, All the people saw this and began to mutter. They all began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. You know, these people were shocked. They're horrified. They're annoyed. They can't believe it. I mean, they've offered Jesus everything. The best they have, their best food, the best housing, the best hospitality. They've offered him everything, but he turns it down. He turns it all down to go to the house of a sinner. And they don't understand. They don't understand Jesus at all in that moment. I mean, didn't he come for the oppressed? Didn't he come for the least, the last, the lost, and the lonely? Yes, of course he did. But he also, well, he came for all of those, but he also came for the oppressors. He came for the tyrants and the dictators and even the tax collectors. How about you this morning? Do you have any friends that don't go to church? Do you have any friends that wouldn't call themselves Christians? Do you have friends like that? If not, why? If you do have friends who aren't Christians, do you spend time with them? Do you eat with them? Do they come to your house? Do you go to theirs? Jesus was called a friend of sinners. How about you? What are you called? Now, between verses 7 and 8, there's a bit of a time lapse. And in that time lapse, Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house. And precisely all that uh, was said and did by Jesus and Zacchaeus in the privacy of Zacchaeus' house, we'll never know. What we do know is this, though, that through Jesus' life of love and through his words of mercy, Zacchaeus exited that time standing taller than he ever had before. Verse 8, it says, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Look, listen, this morning, when salvation truly comes to your house, it affects the way that you love and treat others. And in this verse, we see two bits of evidence of Zacchaeus' salvation. Excuse me. 
Excuse me. Number one, when true salvation comes to your house, it affects your giving. So Zacchaeus said, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Do you remember the story of the rich ruler who denied himself the opportunity to experience eternal life? He was unwilling to give his money to the poor. And in essence, he said, you know, if it's a toss up between eternal life and keeping my money, I'll keep my money. In Luke 21, Luke records the story of the poor widow. Jesus is in the temple with his disciples and he looks up and standing in front of the temple treasury not to receive but to give her last two coins is a poor widow. It's all she has and she gives her last two coins. Church, when true salvation comes to your house, it affects your giving. Because true salvation affects your love for God and for others. The second bit of evidence we see, when true salvation came to Zacchaeus' house, it produced restitution. When true salvation came to Zacchaeus, he went far beyond the required restitution of that day by law. By law in that day, he was only required to pay back the original value of what he took plus a fifth of the total. But when that true salvation came to Zacchaeus, what does he do? He's willing to pay four times the amount Four times the amount of what he cheated others out of. Why is he doing this? Well, he's doing it because he wants everyone to know that he's willing to do whatever it takes to make it right. Friends, when you are truly saved, God gives you a different value system. His value system. And so you start wanting to make things right with God and with others. Because God's kingdom is a kingdom of right relationships. Right relationship with him and right relationship with others. So if you're a citizen of God's kingdom, and if you're not right with God, or if you're not right with your brother or sister or neighbor, and you have no desire to take the steps necessary to bring change, then friends, that's a signal that you have a serious heart problem. A serious heart problem. 1 John 4.29 says, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother who he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. When true salvation comes to your house, it produces the desire for restitution in your life. You want to make things right. And then, when Jesus sees these evidences in Zacchaeus' life, he declares in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house. Let's catch this. How did that salvation come to Zacchaeus? Jesus brought it. Jesus brought it. And once Jesus brings salvation to Zacchaeus' life, what does Zacchaeus do? He wants to share it. He wants to give it away. And so he begins to give. He begins to make things right. Because God has made things right with him. Salvation has come to his house. And when it does, verse 9 says, Jesus declares that Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham. Now what is a son of Abraham? Well, you know, it's a person who walks by faith. 
When God called Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 1, to leave his country and his father's family and go to a place that God would show him, when that happens, Abraham literally has no idea where God is going to lead him. But hear this, he ends up going on the greatest adventure of his life. The same is true for Zacchaeus. When salvation comes to his house, he has no idea where God's going to lead him. I mean, he has no idea that he's going to start giving all his stuff away. He has no idea he's going to start making things right with the countless people that he's wronged. He just had the faith to follow. And he ends up going on the greatest adventure of his life. Now we finally come to what many consider to be the theme verse of the entire Gospel of Luke in Luke 19 verse 10. And, you know, I really believe if even just some of us here this morning really grab hold of what Jesus is saying and not let it go, then by God's grace and for God's glory, we could really turn this town upside down for him. As Jesus leaves Jericho, this is his last word. And, he, you know, he's on his way up to Jerusalem at this point. He's on his way up to the cross. And he says, this is it. You're never going to hear my voice in this place again. So if you don't remember anything else about me, remember this. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. To seek and to save the lost. Who in your life needs to experience Christ's love in a tangible way? Who are the people in your life where you live, work, study and play who need to see Jesus in you? Who are the people that you're being called to bless? Who are the people that you're praying for? Who are the people that you're listening to? Who are the people that you're eating with and serving and sharing Christ's story with? Who are those people that you're called to bless? Church, this morning, it doesn't have to be a great big crusade. It just has to be real. It just has to be from the heart. If you love Jesus, you'll end up loving who he loves. And you'll end up doing what he did. And he came to seek and to save the lost. That's why Zacchaeus... Probably long after Jesus had passed through Jericho, was still telling the story. Still telling the same story. What's your story this morning? What's your story about how you met Jesus? And who are you telling it to? Let's pray. Um, can I have the band up if they're here? do some worship after this. Dear Lord, we thank you for this story this morning. We thank you that it's an opportunity for us to learn about how you can come into someone's life, Lord God. Lord, we thank you that when you move in our lives, we can't help but change, Lord, for the better, Lord. And we ask for opportunities this morning as a church for us to serve and share your story in the community. And Lord, we thank you that in the next few weeks coming up, we have the, the church mission. 
Lord God, and this is such a prime opportunity for us to step out in faith and share your story. So I pray that as we leave here today, Lord Jesus, that you would fill us with your love and confidence to share our stories about how you came into our lives, just like Zacchaeus did. Lord, bless us and fill us as we worship this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.